0: The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org.
1: Let's pray. Father, that is what we just sang is our prayer. That you, O God, would reveal Christ to us, that you would open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, you would reveal him in a way that is more than just information, it it must start with information, but beyond that moves past just head knowledge to to heart change, to a deepening and a, a widening of our appreciation for what you have done, for our love for you, for our dependence on you. Show us Christ, Lord. Particularly, we, we are praying that now we'll be talking about that in the, in the context of, of hard things that can be disillusioning and can be, can be frustrating. Will you show us Christ, particularly in the midst of those times. Shine him brightly like light in darkness. Draw us, hold us fast. Father, would you do that now, even a little bit by your spirit here over this word. Show us Jesus. Build your church, we pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen. One of our family's favorite movies is the film Believe in Me. Set in the 1960s, it tells the true story of a young Oklahoma high school basketball coach just starting out. He signs a contract for his first varsity job. Then he and his wife move across the state to some unknown small town. But when he gets there, he's shocked to find that they gave the job to somebody else. They gave the boy's varsity job to somebody else. And they've decided to give him the girl's varsity job. A significant, significant downgrade at that time and place. He's really upset. Crushed, and he talks to a friend about it who knows these things. He said, They can't do this. I signed a contract, for crying out loud. And the friend says, Go back and look again at the contract. Look closely at the actual words. Does it say boys coach or just coach? And you know what it said. <laughs> he was really disappointed and he wanted to get out of it. He was, he was expecting something else. He had signed on and committed to what he wasn't quite exactly promised. And this major twist kind of threw him for a loop. Now, spoiler alert, things work out just fine for him. And the multiple girls teams, he led to multiple state titles at multiple schools over multiple decades. Everything worked out just fine for him, but He never coached boys again, and everybody was good with that. It's a true story. Great movie. The point is, that sort of thing, an unexpected twist where you find that I've signed on to something that I I didn't quite think I'd signed on to and it's brought to me things that I don't really want. That brings us to our passage today in Matthew chapter 11. That reality and the serious, almost heartbreaking disappointment that can come from it. That's what we're going to see Jesus address here in this chapter. Now, as we recall, he's just finished his instructions to his disciples about all the various ministry endeavors that they're going to be engaged in. And He laid before them all that they would do and all that it would mean for them. And then when he was done with that, he himself then just got up and went on and kept doing the things he'd been doing. Verse 1 in our passage makes that point clear. He heads back out and continues to preach and teach and compassionately heal in all the towns and the villages of Galilee which was a very unexpected twist heartbreaking, unexpected frustrating, unexpected twist for John the Baptist. As we look at this exchange between Jesus and John's messengers that he sends to Jesus this issue of an unexpected Jesus and the disappointment that he may bring is going to come up and we're going to be taught some things about how to deal with that. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Chapter 11, verses 1 to 6. Let me read it, and then we'll draw out two observations. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Matthew 11. So two observations, and here's the first. The blessed life comes when we don't stumble at Christ's unexpected ways. The blessed life comes when we don't stumble at Christ's unexpected ways. Verse 2 says, Now when John heard in prison, let's pause there for a second, we're talking about John the Baptist, as I mentioned, We first met him back in chapter 3, and John, you'll recall, was a major figure. He's a a prophet preacher sent by God to prepare the way for the coming Messiah, the coming Christ. word Christ, Messiah, the same word. John preached, prepare the way for the Lord to come to us. Which means, how we prepare that is repentance and humble dependent turning to God talked about how the Messiah coming after him would come to cut down all the unfruitful trees. That is, unrighteous, spiritually unfruitful people who are spiritually displeasing to God. He will come to cut down all of those trees and throw them into the fire of judgment. He will be an unquenchable fire, come to burn up the chaff. That is, people again. Come to judge those who are not humbly surrendered to and trusting in God. And so in order to avoid the wrath that is to come, repent and turn humbly to God. That's John's message over and over and over again. Stiff, hard, clear, an austere man in an austere setting preaching a stiff message about how to prepare for the judgment that comes when God's Messiah comes. And then Jesus came, and John said, the one I was talking about, right here, this one. And as John then baptized Jesus, voiced from heaven, God the Father, baptized Jesus, descends on Jesus in the form of God the Spirit, and says out loud, that one, this one, this is my son you got John identifying him, God the Father, God the Spirit identifying him, all indicating this is the one on whom God's Spirit rests. This is the one through whom God is moving. And so, by the end of chapter 3, we saw this. What is John expecting to happen as Jesus rises up out of the water, so spoken of, so identified, so declared to be Spirit-anointed Messiah? What's John expecting? Well, obviously, Jesus is going to start sorting out some stuff, finally. He's going to start cutting down some trees, pitching them in the fire. And I happen to have a list right here where you might start. You might start with our king, our wicked King Herod, who is living in an open, adulterous affair with his own sister-in-law. Or the, all the Pharisaical Pharisees, hypocrites that they all are. That, that would that'd be a good place to start right there. That's what John wants. That's what John expects. What happens? Well, unexpectedly, Jesus starts by himself heading off into the desert. Chapter 4. From John's perspective, he just disappears for a month and a half. Can you imagine January, the, the inaugural swearing into the president, the balls and all that, and then he doesn't even show up again until March. Where'd he go? And then when he does come back, Jesus does not go to Jerusalem, and now, finally start, he goes off into Galilee, off into the north, and is wandering around from town to town. Talking to people and teaching about attitudes and heart things and how to read the scripture law, all the while indiscriminately, indiscriminately, that is without discernment, healing everybody of everything that they bring to him. Doesn't matter if they're righteous people or wicked people. Doesn't matter if they're repentant or not. He heals them, heals them, he heal masses of people, all sorts of people, in town after town after town. All this for months and months. And while timelines aren't specific in Matthew, it seems as we kind of put things together that this is going on for close to a year now, all that we've been looking at. And for all that time, John is watching this from prison. Locked up. It was only mentioned in chapter 4. We get a few more of the details in Matthew chapter 14. But John had finally said too much about that King Herod and his sister-in-law, and Herod arrested him. him in prison and while he's there he's seeing all that's going on he sits there locked up by a wicked man and a year in now he's starting to wonder about some things hmm verse 2 it says he heard about the deeds of the Christ Matthew, throughout this whole book, we've been saying this, Matthew is very, very clear who Jesus is. from the very first verse of the very first chapter, he knows and he's talking about Jesus Christ. This is the Messiah. This is the King who's come. He, he's bringing the kingdom of heaven. He, he's been real clear about that. But this is an, a rather unusual way for Matthew to describe him the deeds of the Christ. Everywhere else, you can just glance around the page, glance at the chapter, it's Jesus this and Jesus that, Jesus answered, Jesus finished. But here, it's, it's, not, it's not the deeds of Jesus, not even the deeds of Jesus Christ, it's just the deeds of the Christ. Matthew's saying something there. And we need to, to hear if we're going to feel the issue in this passage. All these deeds... The word's broad includes everything Jesus is doing, his, his teaching and preaching, his miracles. All that he's done, all of it is the work of the promised Christ. It, it is the deeds of the Christ. There's nothing that's non-Christ-like in all that Jesus has been doing. When you look closely at the contract, so to speak, if you look at the actual words written down, this is exactly what Messiah should do. So what's wrong here is not with what Jesus is doing. Not even what God promised that Messiah would do. The problem is that these works are not what John expected the Christ to do. In his own understanding, this is not going how it was supposed to go. Where is the fire of judgment? That's a big question, a very personal question. In fact, not just because he preached about it so much and so vigorously, but because he's sitting in prison, suffering under the hand of wicked Herod. Herod is, and is getting away with, he's oppressing one of God's prophets, an appointed preacher, the herald of the Messiah. I'm sitting here suffering, and maybe he has the feeling, which is true, that he's about to die under this persecution, and something is wrong here because this is not how it is supposed to go. Are are you are you actually the one? Did I miss something or did I misunderstand? I, am I wrong about this? This is not how it's supposed to be. Can you identify with that feeling? If your person, at some point or another, to some degree or another, everybody can identify with this. This is not how things are supposed to go if Jesus is actually the Christ, and he's actually here, and he's actually reigning. This, that, this ain't right. For most of us here listening to this, you're, you're a Christian, at, which means at some point in your past, you've heard the message of the, the true good news. Not just folklore, or what people say in, out there in the culture, but you've, you, you get it. You've heard the message of the true good news of what God has done in Jesus. The message of his grace. Christ crucified as the only payment for sin. You understood that. You, you got it. You saw it. You, you embraced it. Jesus is God come in flesh. Jesus is God's Savior. He is the Christ. He is my only hope. His cross is the only way that I can be forgiven. And you cast all of your hope onto that alone. You became a Christian. And you lived. You lived from that point. You walked in humble dependence on him. And if some time has passed in your life, you matured. You grew up, your roots deepened, maybe you committed then to some sort of a ministry position, or maybe you've come to places in your life where you've where you've taken taken steps to more deeply or more radically or or, or more vigorously commit yourself to following and serving him you you've matured in in various ways and you've grown and and you know it's not easy it's not all simple it's 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 the world it's difficult but but i understand i know him i'm here for this let's go and you you've pressed ahead maybe sorrowing whatever rejoicing you're pressing forward it, that's most of us here but then something happened something happened perhaps something very personal a loved one died young or died hard or both. Your child, your young spouse. Or maybe there was some sort of sin struggle or failure in yourself or in a family member and something terrible was done. I'm not talking about sin and and stuff. I mean something terrible was done to you. Or maybe there arose some sort of a Bible doctrine or Bible teaching that as you put that together with how you think and feel and the loved ones that you have, you just couldn't, couldn't get it, couldn't understand it, couldn't embrace it, couldn't swallow it, is how it felt. If that's the case, then... Whew, or maybe it's not you personally, though, though it affects you. Maybe it's the sin struggle or the failure of somebody else. Like, maybe was a church leader. Confronted and exposed, or worse, rationalized and covered up by others in the ministry. The pastor... And the hypocrisy just shows. The hypocrisy everywhere just jumps out at you. And in the, in the failure of, quote, biblical principles to produce principled Christians. You see people everywhere you respected instead just acting like the world, or maybe even worse than some people you know in the world. And they're Christians living by biblical principles, quote, quote. You watch them wander around and walk away and abandon the faith and disavow Jesus and maybe disavow you. Church discord and division and gossip rears up, and the gospel just doesn't advance, and revival long prayed for it, just doesn't happen. We've been talking about this, and you've been laboring for it and ministering for it, and it's difficult and it's hard, but you feel like I've been trying to push the ball uphill for so long that I mean, maybe this is just not the right hill. In fact, you look around and the world is carrying on as it always has and the regular atrocious atrocities piling up in your news feed like they always have. And, you know, really, maybe that's just it. Maybe it's nothing actually, some thing that happened. It's all the things that keep happening. Grim, relentless brokenness in the world, evil and hardship and suffering. And you finally just look at all that and you say like, man, I need a second verse, same as the first. 700 second verse, the same as the first. It, it, it's just, really? And you look around at that and at some point, the growing sense of aimlessness and the wondering about what's going on here, you just can't suppress it anymore, and you begin to wonder maybe a little bit out loud. If Jesus was real, if Jesus was the Christ, this, come on, that, this thing right here, wouldn't be, would it? If he's really the Christ, if he's really who he says he is or who I thought he said he was, could all of that or this thing in particular, could it be, have I missed something? Am I wrong about this? When? If that's you, when that's you. I think a lot of us say like, oh, no, 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 don't go there. Don't, don't think about that. Don't." No, Do. Bring that out and put it right in front. John does something right here. John brings that up and goes to Jesus and asks the question. What we tend to do is say, I shouldn't ask that. I want to suppress, I want to suppress, I want to suppress. And this thing grows back there until it takes over. And then what people tend to do is they go ask the Internet. And that's trouble. He he brings it to Jesus and he asks him, and it's it's important to that. It's important to face it, to acknowledge this, this. is our world. This is our experience. This stuff happens, and it was John's experience. He's in prison for a long time. Then he got his head cut off. All the while, Jesus is walking around Galilee doing his thing. These deeds of the Christ were happening at the same time, and. Neither Matthew nor Jesus denies that. John brings up the question and and they don't say, don't ask that question, don't talk like that. He engages with it. He'll engage with it when you ask him, but it's important to ask him. But then realize that what Jesus says is what we need to reckon with. What he says, verse 6, looking at verse 6 first, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who is not offended. Or better, the word that we have there, offended, it's actually a word that when we translate it into English, becomes a verb that we don't use like this in English. But We could say, blessed is the one who is not stumbled by me. We could say, not tripped up by me. Not turned off or turned away by me, offended by me, driven away. By what I'm doing, by how I'm doing it. Blessed is the one who's not tripped up by me. That's where we need to end up at the end of this. We need to end up there, not made to trip, not made to fall, at least fall and stay down by the reality of this world and the hard blows that are in it, all of which we acknowledge is under his hand, and that's kind of the problem. We need to end up there. That's our goal, and the second point is going to, Unpack how Jesus aims to help us get there. As always, he aims to help us get there. He's so good. But before we move on to the help, we still here. Blessed is the one who's not tripped up, who's not stumbled by me. Blessed is that one. We don't want to end up there not stumbled because that's the right place to end up. But we want to end up there. It is the right place to end up. But we want to end up there because that's that's the place the blessed life is found. Here's another beatitude. Remember the beatitudes in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are. Here's another one. Blessed are. From back there at the Sermon on the Mount in the beginning, we we discuss that word often. Blessed that is happy, envied such that others would look at you and say, man, I wish I had what you have. You have the good life. Man, I wish I had what you have. You have the good life. Blessed are you. The one who's not stumbled by what Jesus is doing and how he does it, the way he works things out, that person has the blessed, the envied life. That's where we want to end up. Not because he said so, but because it's good. Blessed is the one who looks at and lives in, right in the middle of all the works of Christ, the puzzling and the painful ones included, all of his ways. He looks at and lives right in the middle of them and doesn't go away, doesn't de-church. A new word describing the old word, apostatize. He doesn't say, nope. I'm out and leave, but instead sticks with blessed are you if that's you. If you're the one who sees and lives right in the middle of all this and can go through that laundry list of stuff and can look around the world and can feel the, the, the spear pierce your own heart and you can say, Ah, oh, yes, but here I am. Blessed are you if that's you. Not only because this is the good way to deal with it, but like I'll mention here in a second, because all the Beatitudes that are yours, all the kingdom, all of the communion with God, all that is yours, but also, blessed are you if that's you because you're the only one who can deal with this stuff. Then Let me say this a little bit differently. The things I've been talking about, you could call them, that's the problem of suffering and evil in the world. Blessed are you who sticks with Christ in of this because everybody on earth faces the problem of suffering and evil. You know, sometimes we get in these discussions where people discuss with Christians what they call you know, the problem of evil, the problem of suffering. And what do you guys do with that? And what we should say with it is, what do you guys do with it? You got it too. Everybody's got this problem. Everybody faces all that stuff. And the Christian alone, blessed are you, the Christian alone has a response to it, has an answer for it. Not the answer to all the wise. We're never going to be God. We will never be able to understand all the timing and all the particular ways. We have a solution. Judgment is coming and evil will be eliminated. And cross and the resurrection prove not only that but the cross and the resurrection give us the blessed life of being able to live right now sorrowing but ever rejoicing downcast but not destroyed to live through all of that that you have to live through too by the way to live through all of that in hope blessed are you if you stick with Christ and are not sent off by all this stuff, but you stick with him in the middle of it because you have a hope in the middle of it. No one else does. A hope that this gets dealt with finally and a hope that right now Christ will walk with you and commune with you. This life is the only way to live well with all the hardship. Confusing, perhaps, hard to expect, twists and turns you didn't see coming, sure. But a hope. Christ in the middle of it with you. That's the good life. That's where you want to end up sorrowing but ever rejoicing. So how can you get there? That's the second point. The second observation then, Seeing Christ's already brought grace, B-R-O-U-T, brought. Seeing Christ's already brought grace fuels persevering faith in his not yet brought grace. Seeing Christ's already brought grace fuels persevering faith in his not-yet-brought grace. What I'm doing here is I'm stating positively the previously stated negative. I don't want to stumble. I don't want to be stumbled. Well, that's the negative way of putting it. The positive way of saying I do want to persevere in faith. I do want to stick with him. So I've changed this to be a positive, but we're still talking about the very same thing here. Positively speaking, I want to continue in steadfast trust of him. I want to look forward into the future, not stumbled and and turned away, but running forward with him, not offended and turned away, but encouraged to stick with him. That's what we need to find the blessed life. So how can we get there? Verse 4, Jesus hears John's question, raised through his messengers, and he aims to help him, so he replies, Go and tell John what you hear and see. Tell him to think about this, and he'll have his answer. We also need to think about this for our own help. If you think about this, it, it does deeply affect how we respond, how, how God by his spirit aims to help us respond when we're struggling the very same way that John was. What he tells him, them to observe and then report is the summary of what we just saw in chapters 8 and 9. Why did he tell John to look at all of this? Because, remember, they are miracles that have a message in them. They aren't just raw displays of amazing power. They aren't just displays of of kind mercy in a physical realm. They are displaying the divine authority of Jesus over the physical realm and over the spiritual realm also. They're telling us something about who he is. And those things are all explicitly listed in several key Old Testament passages as just the types of gracious deliverance that Messiah would do when he came. The kinds of deliverance from evil and suffering that Christ would accomplish when he came. Tell John to go and look again. Tell him, I'm giving sight to the blind physically. And spiritual sight to some spiritually blind, too. And I'm healing the lame so they can walk and so they can live like they should live. And I cleanse leprosy, not just heal it. Leprosy was a thing that needed to be cleansed because it was about being unclean and kept away from the presence of God. I cleanse leprosy. I restore communion between people and between people and God. I raise the dead, not just the little dead girls, I'm the beginning of the resurrection. The poor of the good news preached to them, the good news of the kingdom that is at hand. Take that in to all that's happening already. This is the day of Messiah. I'm here. But when you take those things back to him, and perhaps he goes back and says, where is that? And he turns to Isaiah 35 or, or Isaiah 61, and he can see those very phrases I mean, there's there's implications of them elsewhere, but those very phrases are in a couple of particular places. And he goes and looks. John's also going to notice this. We would also notice this. There's a little more here. John's not completely wrong. Many of those very same passages in the verse right before these things are listed or in the very next phrase right after these things are listed mention the vengeance of God also. Right next to each other. That's part of Messiah coming too. And God can't fully deliver us and his creation from evil without ultimately getting completely rid of evil. He did promise. He did predict that. He would do that. He said so. So John's right in part, and we are right in part, to feel, to expect that the coming and the reign of Christ should and will bring the destruction and the judgment and the end of all wickedness and all suffering and all the fallen effects of sin that will come eventually, just not yet. The day of Messiah has come. Look at what's already happened, all the grace that has already been brought. But it's not that, that day is not completed yet because look at all that hasn't been completed yet, completely done. The judgment isn't here yet. There's a day that's dawned, but it isn't finished at 6.30 or 7 o'clock tomorrow morning, you're going to know for sure that Monday has arrived. Even if you don't have a watch. Because you will be able to begin to see some things. I mean, if you go out really, really, really out in the darkness, it'll be more like five, 5.30, you'll be able to see some things. But if you, if you notice 5, 5.30, 6, I can I can see a little bit it's Monday. It's no, it's no longer Sunday night. It's, it's Monday now. The sun's coming up. You can see the dawn, but it won't at all be like what you expect to happen at mid-afternoon. You, you'll know that. Mid-afternoon, it's going to be a lot brighter and a lot warmer you're gonna see further and farther and more. It'll be it'll be different and, and you expect that, you know that. Because the day is dawned, but it's not done. And in the morning then you won't be at all put off or angry, turned off, frustrated that it's not as warm or as bright at six thirty as it will be at two. That's normal. You know that. You're in the process of the day coming. You can see the sun brightening the the sky behind the mountains and you know that it will come up and it will hit the land and it will light it up and warm it up. It's just not yet that time. All that we're struggling with and all the pain in this life and the evil that plagues us and threatens us, Christ will burn it up. He said so. Chaff in the fire. But not yet. Not yet. How do we know? Well, because the Bible said so, but it's not happening yet. I can look around and I can see it not quite done yet. Well, how do we know this is actually the day? Then? How do we know that's true? Well, because we can also look at the Bible and see what he would say would happen, and that is being done and has been done. There is current grace already brought. Look at it look at it this is Jesus point with John John look John's looking at the prison cell at the walls the bars the chains okay look I made all the creation and I sustained it and it's here I sent Christ and he cast out demons and he he calmed the sea and he raised a dead girl and he opened the eyes of the blind and then now, and he went to the cross, silent, nonetheless, was crucified, and like he said, three days later, rose. The Spirit was poured out on Pentecost. Thousands of people spoke in languages that were not their own. The church was birthed, the church exists, the church goes to every corner of the globe, it is all over the place. Is it full and right and completely like it should be? Nope. Nope. Is it really, really, really different than normal people are? Yep. Undeniably so. Are you Christian? Are you really, really different than you were? Yep. Perfectly so? Nope. But you're different. Look at that. Are the people all around you perfect and right and clean and holy and, and perfectly righteous? And Nope. But are they different? Yes, for sure they are. There's evidence to look at. The problem is we are focused on the prison cell, the bars, and the chains. We're focused on the spear that pierced us because that hurts. Look at the spear that pierced him. That blesses Blessed is the one who is not offended by his strange and hard ways, but instead embraces his good and sweet ways and trusts them through the other. There's evidence for this. It's all around. There's evidence for us. And I am not saying clearly, we are not saying, Jesus is not saying, ah, you know, you take the good with the bad. Yeah, there's some bad stuff. There's some good stuff. It's okay. No, 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 no. No, the good, the good tells you about where the bad's going. The good tells you, the good that's already been brought, the grace that is already here tells you there is more grace that will be brought. The good will come and the bad will perish. I will do that. I have started, I will finish the work I began. John, look. Christian, look. We are in the middle of the process. On the way to a fully made new, bright, shining as the sun, glorious, pure world that God predicted. It's not here yet, but it has started and there is evidence. Look. Don't deny the evidence of evil. Look at the evidence of the inbreaking of the Spirit, the inbreaking of God, the dawning of the day that promises there is more to come and trust him for it. That's what we need to take out of this Grace that's already been brought is not what we are trusting that already happened. Grace that has already been brought is fuel to trust he will finish it and bring grace yet to come. He's been faithful to what he said. He will remain faithful to what he said. We look at the grace poured out and we trust him to complete the work. In the meantime, we lean into the promise of Christ with us, giving us the blessed life here and now of communion with Him, that He is enough for you. He'll sustain you through all the hardships. He's enough for you. He'll sustain you through it all, and He will bring it to an end. That is the fight of faith Worth fighting. The answer is, is he the one to come? Yes, and he's come. Trust him to come again and finish it. Let me pray. Lord, we say these things and we hear these things and we work through these things in the middle sometimes of the muck. you help us? Will you encourage our hearts? Help us to think clearly and rationally, but also help us to to be emotionally real with you, to say, Lord, here's my heart. Will you speak to, will you help your people? There are different places that we're in. Will you help your people? Will you help us to trust you? Will you commune with us amidst all the hardship? We give us hope for a future that is promised and that is coming. Open our eyes that we can see wonderful things, that we can rejoice even while sorrowing. Give us strength to not be crushed by what is heavy, but to stand with you in us, with you beside us, and to point the world to you, the strength that is within. Help us while we pray. Thank you.